Welcome to TechLink in Conversation. This episode is part of our vulnerability series. My name's Hannah Coffey and I am the Vulnerability and Client Assistance Manager at Technical Connection. During our conversations throughout the series, myself and Jan Levy from Three Hands will be speaking with a number of organisations, charities and importantly lived experts across a range of vulnerabilities. We hope through our episodes to bring life to a range of vulnerable circumstances, to raise awareness of the signs and the symptoms that financial planners and support teams may wish to consider so that you have the best conversations with your clients to ensure the greatest outcomes. This particular podcast focuses on caring. Yeah, over to you. Thank you very much, Hannah. Um, and it's very, very good to be here again to have another conversation about, well, we talk about vulnerabilities and sometimes it's better just to call vulnerabilities stuff that happens in life because that's what really we're talking about and today we're talking about caring and people taking on caring responsibilities and when the very good company of Sonia Benitez who's from a charity called Carers Network and we'll hear more about that in a moment and we're with Cynthia as well who is a carer and who's going to talk a little bit about her own experiences and Cynthia you also chair a Carers Network don't you? Which means offering support and advice and guidance to other carers, I guess. Yes. Um, and th- well, you can talk about that, the needs that carers have, the support they need, what is, what, is, what is tough for them. I'm sure we'll get into that. But a very, very warm welcome to both of you. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's, it's a big topic, isn't it? Because I've got some stats in front of me. And these stats actually were pre-pandemic. Um, but the one that really stands, this isn't a stat, it's a fact. It really stands out to me. As a result of advances in healthcare, more and more people are living longer with a disability or with complex health conditions, which just means there's going to be more need for care in our society and more need for unpaid carers. Absolutely. And we see that growing, as you said, year upon year. There's a big investment now in um, supporting carers of dementia patients, for example, which is one of the biggest trends that we've seen at the moment because of the aging population, as you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's going to be really uh, a pertinent topic. We've we've actually um, recorded a podcast on cognitive impairment and dementia. All of these issues overlap in such a big way. Absolutely. Um, Right. Before we dive into it in too much detail, I would love to hear from you, Cynthia, about your own experiences as a carer. Um, Just, yeah, what's... If you, if you could tell us um, how you became a carer, why you became a carer, and just some of the challenges associated with being a carer, would be really, really grateful. Um, so I guess my journey started um, a while back. And initially, I didn't know I was classified as a carer. Yeah. I just was supporting uh, the, the person I'm caring for, for appointments and attending appointments with them, because English is not their first language. Um, and initially I was working full time and had it to attend their appointments. Um, but some of the appointments kind of clashed with the work that I was doing. But luckily the employer that I worked with had a flexible working scheme, which then meant that if there was any appointments that I had to attend within the nine to five hours, I was given allowance to actually leave and not affect my annual leave on top of that which was quite useful. And I noticed when I was attending the appointments, I started to realise that the the health journey of the person I was caring for, I paid more attention to what their health conditions were. And that's when I found out that 
the previous appointments, a lot of, because of the English is not being their first language, there was a lot of communication barriers and the information provided or the support was not accurate. So it was for me to decide to just pay a bit more attention and actually be committed to attend the appointment just so I could understand how to best support them because I actually live with the person I care for. Um, And then I noticed that uh, their condition is a a combination of diabetes type 2, high cholesterol and arthritis, which means that you have to monitor them um, on a regular basis just to uh, improve the lifestyle that they have and also their diet, their diet and also their nutrition. So I made a uh, sacrifice, I guess, and left my uh, nine-to-five full-time work and went full-time as an unpaid carer and not in receipt of carer's allowance um, and lived on my housing deposit savings. Okay. Well, not lived. I'm still am at the moment, and that's how I'm sustaining myself. But um, I guess that's my journey. Okay. Okay. Cynthia, thanks for sharing that. And you talk about the impact, that there are many impacts, uh, areas of impact, I guess, of being a carer. And one of them, as you've talked about, is financial. You, you gave up a full-time job. A, a good full-time um, local council job, um, living comfortably with it, just to commit to making a difference to uh, the person I care for. Yeah. Um, and you described it as a sacrifice. I know it's a close family member, but the sacrifice that I, I guess in the end it was an easy decision to to make, right? Even though your employer had showed some flexibility, it just wasn't enough. You had to be there pretty much full time, it sounds like. Yeah, um, and I have noticed that when I was working full time and doing the caring role part time and the line of work that I was doing, I had a, I had to manage a caseload of 18 clients um, which meant that I had to attend additional appointments on top on top of that, and I wasn't able to manage appointments upon appointments. So I would just I'll be attending one appointment for something different to the industry I'm working in, and it, it would it just mentally wasn't stabling me. Even though they gave gave me a gym membership where I could use the sauna, that didn't you know the sauna didn't fix it. It, it didn't <laughs> fix it as much as I would have loved to just be you know been able to switch off, but I just felt that. For my well-being, I needed to give up that role to make yeah, a better decision. Yeah, yeah. So um, it had a financial impact. And, and how many years have you had now as a full-time unpaid carer? Um, since 2019, August. Okay. That's when I made that decision. Okay, so two and a bit years. Um, talked a little bit about financial impact, um, living from savings. What other kind of impacts does this situation have on your life in terms of practical emotional relationships whatever whatever you're happy to talk about I guess um I guess um I try to not make it or I try not to inform everybody that I am a carer because I don't need to have some kind of sympathy on my circumstances yeah um but I try to manage my social life as best as I can and to also consider the person I care for. So it's like a juggling act. But I, I do have a social life. Yeah, good. It's flexible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're advising, if you're talking to others in your carers' network that you chair, um, what do you see 
what do you see the challenges that they face commonly? Uh, and 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 if you if we broaden out and look at carers more 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 generally, what 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 are the other kind of impacts that taking on caring responsibilities has ha, have on people's lives? Um, so I'm a chairperson of a, a local forum, um, and I get to have sessions. For, well, there's four forums a year, and um, I chair the session which we provide information, advice and guidance to all the carers within the community yeah. about the accessing of um, support services and opportunities within the borough. Um, and the concern is that um, a lot of them find their circumstances challenging. A lot of them may not feel comfortable to share um, their circumstances in full. And you can see that a lot of them are very emotional when even when they attend the forum. Yeah. Um, what I've tried to do I've designed the forum that at the end of the the last 30 minutes of the forum there's a chit chat session with me and that's where I get to actually hear their story and it's quite emotional in regards to how they're dealing with it and because carers don't tend to have the same circumstances it's quite um, it's quite interesting to see how other carers are dealing with it and whether it's someone that has dementia or yeah. For circumstances. So, so it has huge practical implications because of your time. It just yeah. holds you back, in your case, from working, for example. But at the same time, it's massively emotional because people are generally unpaid carers are unpaid carers because they're caring for somebody they love. Yeah. Um, so, so that's that sort of double whammy of the practical and the emotional. Um, yeah, I see that. Before we then pan out and, and come to Sonia, my other question is this. Planning. How do you how do you plan your life and how do you plan the future when you're in this kind of situation? Um, prior to being a full-time carer, I had a certain vision, a certain plan for my future. And I guess when I made the decision um, to go full-time on pay carer, that changed in the sense that I still want to buy a property, but it's just going to take me slightly longer yeah. than initially envisaged. Yeah. Um, you just have to adapt to your current circumstances and just review the plan that you had before and then create a new one in uh, order to remain sane. Yeah, yeah. Is life, though, a bit more in the moment? Yeah. Um, I try to keep myself organised. So I have, like, a daily lifestyle planner, which I plan my week or my month or my year just to keep structure in my mind yeah. and allow me to get things done. Otherwise, it's just going to take you oh, over it's completely. Ca- it, it can be very chaotic. If you're, uh, for me, if I'm not structured, I have a chaotic lifestyle. So I, I try really hard to put some kind of structure yeah. in so yeah. I can focus on something. Yeah, okay. So, Sonia, thank you, Cynthia. And, and just jump in to the rest of the conversation, please do, because you, you are our lived expert, right? Thank you. So, um, Sonia, Hello. in terms of the reasons commonly people need care what is going on with people in families and and, and in society that uh, apart yeah we have an aging population but what are the most common things people are facing that require care Hmm. it's important to mention Jan that um, some people can become uh, carers gradually like Cynthia uh, when they have an elderly relative or somebody whose uh, health deteriorates over time but carers can just become carers overnight as well and any of us can become a carer at any given point in our life it's not just something that we um, see with the elderly we have young carers, we have uh, carers from age 18 to, to age 100. And uh, the caring role can be a caring role of uh, a very diverse nature. 
Um, as you mentioned, um, aging population, population, dementia carers are becoming a quite a, lar a large cluster of people that we support. Also, mental health um, related uh, issues. Um, people can um, have um, addiction as well that may require support in other areas physical disabilities, as we said, learning disabilities. So it's a whole range of, uh, of, of needs that carers, carers come under. And there's some common uh, pieces of support that we can offer for them, and they have many commonalities. But depending on the uh, issue of the care for mm. person, they also have their own um, independent support needs. And it's really complex, isn't it? Because everybody's needs will be different. And if you just think about dementia, and, and mm. we should plug our podcast on dementia yeah. um, at this point, but if you just think about that, people's experiences of dementia are so different. For some people, it comes on very quickly. For other people, it comes on over years and years. And, and there's no one thing that people can or can't do. So it is it is kind of tough. And, and, and I'm thinking about the partner of somebody with dementia, mm. for mm. example, mm. and the sort of experiences they might have as they gradually become carers what sort of pressure do you see among in in couples where where, where one of the couple begins to need care or perhaps mm. needs care as you say suddenly overnight mm. it's it's a very interesting question talking about relationships and uh, not only with your um, intimate partner but also with the people around you um, suddenly there are a million things that you need to do. You have to organise care, share a, co uh, a home with um, doctors that might be coming in, nurses, etc. So the role of uh, each participant in the couple changes almost overnight as opposed to being an equal relationship. It just becomes that carer, yeah. person who is ill, which can be... Um, very, very difficult for both of them because a the person who's providing care misses the old person yes. and how you used to be mm. and uh, they might become resentful and uh, again, those feelings of being resentful create feelings of guilt of why, why am I feeling this way? It's my husband. He would have done the same for me. So it's a very complex emotional um, setup, particularly for, for couples also, as uh, Cynthia pointed out, just becoming isolated, really, that person becomes your whole world. Yeah. You don't have, all of a sudden, anyone who's looking after you, you're just looking after somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that consumes your whole existence. So um, it's important to navigate those, those feelings between couples. And there's a lot of support um, from big national organizations, such as Relate, for example, that carers can tap into. Mm -hmm. And then the local uh, care support center. But then on the on the plus side, there's uh, there are many couples who say that having that time together has also brought them together, mm. and uh, in thoughts that they never thought that it were they were possible, and uh, as well keeping a sense of humor very very important. Nothing relieves stress more than having a sense of humor, and uh, we see that particularly when um, when we host a carer carer peer support groups. Um, and carers who might be looking yeah, after, after, after patients of dementia or any other disability, mm. they come and sit together and they talk about their day. And some of the jokes that they come up with, I mean, they're really dark and morbid. And then you can <laughs> hear them just laughing their heads off uh, and just trying to make humor out of their, you know, the misery yeah. that, that sometimes life can bring. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. a massive outlet for them as well. Totally. I can see how it can really impact on a relationship, though. If, yeah. if somebody has... If, so, if somebody becomes physically less able, mm. and, and dementia leads to that, mm. for example, they mm. might need 
help with real basic needs around, for example, hygiene. And, 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 yes. and that is something that is going to be, has massive implications potentially for a relationship of many years where both people have been completely independent for that yes. long. So I can see how it's a really, really tough transition. It people, is. What about this scenario, I wonder, and, and, and really with financial advice issues in mind, and I'm turning looking at Hannah now as, as our as our resident expert, but um, where, you know, one of the couple has been typically, let's say, taking the lead on finances, mm. and that's the person who needs care. That's the person mm. who's be- perhaps becoming less able. I don't know if you've seen that at all, where somebody, the carer also has to take over sort of financial management. To what extent in these sort of situations, having some wealth helps? Because care is expensive. Right, and some people think, great, I'll be able to afford care. Mm. But it's not always quite as straightforward as that, I don't suppose, is it? It isn't, particularly if if you became a carer overnight. There might be equipment to be purchased uh, privately, there might be adaptations to a property that you have to do, paying for private additional support, nurses, carers, etc. So as Cynthia um, mentioned on her own case, any savings, particularly if there's no income coming in, any savings can just go out really, really quickly. Mm. And uh, being a London charity based in one of the wealthiest cities in the world, we see all the time people who might be asset rich but become cash poor very, very quickly. So for a financial advisor um, supporting their clients, advanced planning is, uh, is essential talking about how perhaps equity release could be used, talking about asset investment. Um, So there's a way of uh, planning, not only for that cash, obviously not to run out, but also looking further down the line, how are decisions going to be made in in the future uh, when that person perhaps becomes um, not able to make decisions on on their own right? Yeah, and these are sensitive topics right absolutely to sit down and talk about what the situation might be in a year or two years or three years where Mm. things might have deteriorated for example I mean that's a tough conversation Mm. how do you go about that um I guess the first session should be like an introduction just a chit chat and maybe not talk so much about their current circumstances but just them to get to know you so then they feel a trust to want to then offload information to Mm -hmm. you so it's almost like yeah the first session just to be about a chit chat cup of tea biscuit how are you? How are you feeling? How's your day? Cool. Let's plan for the next appointment. And this is what we're going to discuss. And that's a nice transition. Mm-hmm. And of course, the context here might be financial advisors who've known some clients for years. And for years, they might, you know, might have been perfectly good health and, and no particular need. And then something might happen or something might come on slowly. And then quite often there can be a level of denial I guess, within a couple or within a person about ongoing needs and that needs might become greater. So um, just something to navigate, isn't it? Yes, they're really, really challenging conversations in in both directions, really, from the person who's becoming progressively unwell or has become all of of a sudden unwell, for them to acknowledge and come to a realisation that perhaps... Um, arranging arranging for lasting power of attorney must be something that they really need to put in place or for the care for the person who's caring as you're saying the partner used to be the one who made all the financial decisions and they may have no not a lot of knowledge they may not feel confident to step up to 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 having to make those so they might be sort of delaying having to take charge so as we're saying there's they're, they're really really challenging conversations but as we always say in um, advice planning is an absolute key. Yeah, yeah. 
So one of the key things I think that you brought up there for me is lasting powers of attorney. Absolutely. And that's a question um, or a topic that I talk about a lot with financial advisors. What do you do if a situation or, or a carer comes to you where actually the individual who's then unwell is too unwell to make their own decisions, but they haven't arranged a lasting power of attorney? Yeah, that is that is the challenging uh, bit, Hannah, because as, as you're saying, um, to make lasting power of attorney, the, pe- the, the person has still to be able to do so and to sign up. So, um, yeah, things, things can become quite problematic quite, quite quickly. Um, this is why, um, as an organisation, we we do bite the bullet and then have those challenges, challenging conversations with people as soon as possible. And as as we were saying, we deal with a lot of um, advanced bereavement, as we call it, when you almost start start bere- uh, bereaving for the person who's deteriorating before they get to that sp- to that point. So it's it's a very emotional journey. But as we're saying. Trying to trying to have a even start with a third party mandate in place where they can start dealing with uh, bank accounts or building societies or whatever the financial providers are, and then just to ease themselves into getting comfortable in sort of from both as I said both directions, letting go of that power and for the person who has to step up to the plate and taking on that uh, mm. leadership role, so to say, and uh, then, as we're saying, as, as, as soon as possible, just to try to, to have uh, appropriate measures in place. Yeah, yeah. Hey, there's an aspect of this I'm really interested in, which is the cultural one. Mm. And, and what we're like in this country generally in terms of family and care and, and extended family. Sonia, you're Spanish, I think, is yes. a little bit different in Spain. Um, Cynthia, we've talked previously about sort of cultural differences um, where are we? What, 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 what's, our, what's our approach to this generally as a nation, would you say? Uh, well, there's a new development around the corner from my ward, which is a, a new care home of I don't know how many beds in there. And for in my culture, that's not something that we would want to refer the person that, that we're caring for into a care home. We'll try to accommodate that within the home that we have. Um, so culturally, I mean, and I guess culturally, it's one of your drivers, one of your, uh, inst- one of the reasons you decided to become an unpaid carer. There's a yeah. cultural thing there, and and just comparing countries and and and, well, Sonia, as I said, you're Spanish. I mean, mm-hmm. much more extended family, much more inclination to keep people, keep family, keep extended families together. Absolutely, one of the issues that we see. Uh, as well as, as I said, having those difficult emotional conversations, which are culturally quite quite difficult. We, in 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 the UK, we we we're not a nation that likes to talk openly about uh, feelings, and uh, it's, it's it can be quite difficult sometimes. And also just to get families involved as a whole, um, the person who's taking a, a role as a pri- as a primary carer sometimes has to manage the emotions of the rest of the family because there may be as, as we're saying particularly if there's wealth there may be family disagreements on um how this or that is going to is, is going to pan out how is this going to be invested i'm going to make this decision but somebody else is going to disagree about it so i suppose as a financial uh, advisor something to bear in mind as well is all these family dynamics and how do you support the person who's actually making those choices and having to make those decisions when you have a whole entourage of people having an opinion as well totally so um in latin families i suppose it's more about keeping the person within the family and just uh, the family rallies about it and keeping the person in the home what we see in the uk there's 
having having somebody in 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 um, residential care, for example, is not so much of an issue, but obviously that has massive financial implications, as as we were saying. Yeah, completely. And of course, we're talking about other countries, but there's a huge diversity of nationality within the UK and within the client base. So these cultural considerations are worth stopping to think about because they will vary from client to client, perhaps. Completely. And how you, how you advise your clients, bearing in mind all of these uh, cultural, uh, subtle, subtle uh, um, elements and uh, how you can see that something that you might advise might go against every fibre in their body. And it's how you tailor that advice just to make sure that they are... Um, reaching decisions that that sit well with them yeah it's a tough one isn't it i think options are always good to look at just drawing on a bit of personal experience looking at my siblings and i spend lots of time looking at different care options for my for my mum and, and and actually laying out options has been really really helpful but not necessarily making a decision there and then just go with it and we we you know and our, her financial advisor who we deal with said Give this a go for six months and see how it pans out. No need to make any big long-term decisions right now. See how the next six months goes. And I thought that was really good advice. And we got other options for the future potentially in mind. And, and I, I really valued that mm. that advice. I, I, I agree with that, Jan. And it's, it's so important for somebody who takes on that role or that primary role of carers just to feel that they're in control. As you're saying, there's so many feelings of uh, feeling helpless. You have to become an expert, you know, jack of many trades overnight. Yeah. And uh, any anything that can give you that sense of uh, um, empowerment is really important. So as you're saying, being able to put all of the options on the table in a language that obviously that they understand and they can make uh, informed decisions with. Yeah. And as you're saying, what is realistic, let's give this a go. And then supporting and perhaps reconducting into a different option. It's so important just to keep that uh, sense of uh, control over the situation. Actually, you've reminded me of something, Cynthia, you told me a few days ago, which is as a carer, you are a carer. Um, let's see if I can remember everything you said you are. You said you're a carer. You're a PA. You're a translator. You're a nutritionist. You're lots of things, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's incredible. Wow. I mean, that's an incredible role to take on, roles to take on, mm. a lot to manage. Do you feel in control? Um, well, I'm the youngest of five. So I, and in the culture that I, we're in, we, the youngest can't have decisions, can't make final decisions. But luckily, because of, um, because of the decisions I'm making are very beneficial to the person I'm caring, I'm having, my voice has been heard. And I've been able to manage um, the whole journey, the health journey, as as best as I could without yeah. their, their input because they're not actually in the home and they're not actually understanding what's been improved and what's not yeah. been improved. Um, but, yeah, having these roles is something that I've just adapted to. And I think the point that you made about the financial advisor giving you option, I think all professionals should be like that, even GPs. Um, because I've had to like had conversation with GPs and thinking, what about this option? Can we explore that before the final decision of what you're wanting yeah. to do? Yeah. And I think when you're consistent with something, then the professionals tend to agree with you, although they might not 100% agree with what you want to do. But the fact that you're putting your voice over and you, you they can actually see that you care for the person that you're caring for, yeah. they kind of back down from whatever tick checklist they have behind yeah. the scenes so we've been hearing about your story today but 
let's look at how many people are there like you in the UK. Pre-pandemic, the figure was something like six and a half million unpaid carers, either full-time or part-time. Um, the pandemic presumably put those figures up just with more people being at home. Sonia, what, what are we looking at now? Do we have an estimate of just how many unpaid carers there are right now? The latest figures from um, Carers UK, which is an umbrella organisation for local care centres uh, nationally, estimates that just over 13 million people are unpaid carers in this country at the moment. And uh, as Cynthia was saying, some of them just became carers overnight. So it's all those feelings of uh, being overwhelmed with, uh, with, a, with a huge task that you, that you have ahead of you. And uh, sometimes people don't identify themselves as carers. Let's not forget that. Yeah, they just don't realise it, right? Completely. Uh, because caring after your husband who's had an accident or looking after your um, adult child who has a profound learning disabilities is just what you do. So why would you seek support and advice? Why would you be deserving of yeah. even looking after yourself or putting yourself first? Yeah. So sometimes we find that carers um, take a long time to come to the surface in identifying themselves as carers and, and seeking and seeking the support that they that they're entitled to and that they could benefit from. Mm. So um, what is a challenge for carers organizations sometimes? And I suppose as a financial advisor is trying to work on that preventative work, as we were saying with the advanced planning, for example, in trying to put that safety net around them before it becomes too late, yeah. before yeah. that person doesn't have mental capacity to make their own decisions and then seeking lasting power of attorney is too late. Um, it's about it's about a preventative type of work yeah. more than sort of dealing with crisis. Yeah. And of course, it's not always about cognitive impairment, is it? Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that point about a parent possibly with a with a disabled child, for example, mm. because that is also another common circumstance of why somebody becomes a carer. But we happen to be recording this just by chance. I'd love to say <laughs> this was organised, but just by chance, we're, ha we're recording this on Carers' Rights Day. Absolutely. Um, and talking of stats from Carers UK, and again, this was pre-pandemic. <clears throat> Um, let's just look at this. 72% of carers in the UK said that they had suffered mental ill health as, as a result of caring. 61% of carers in the UK said that suffered physical ill health as a result of caring. Mm -hmm. um, the stat back, actually, they, they said three in five people will become carers at some point in their lives. So what's the message on Carers' Rights Day, Sonia? <laughs> Well, the message on Carers' Rights Day is that if you're looking after a long one who couldn't manage without the support that you are providing for them on, on daily basis, or you know somebody, you know that neighbour who uh, does the shopping for a couple of elderly neighbours in the community, always picks up their prescription, they help them to get in and out of bed. Just make sure that you have a, a, that conversation, encourage them to perhaps highlight the fact that they're a carer with their GP so they can start that first point of, of, of support. As we're saying, there's, uh, there's an army of hidden carers in this country. And uh, for us on Carers' Rights Day, it's about carer identification and then making sure that carers know um, what they're entitled to and know their rights from an employment point of view, as we said, from a physical health support point of view, mental health support point of view, yeah. etc. Well, it is Carers' Rights Day, which means that you've got tons of appointments uh, later in the day um, uh, on this topic. So we'd better wrap up. Um, but what I hope we've done is raised awareness first of uh, the caring scene, as it were, in the UK. Just how many people are carers and how many people will 
almost certainly become carers. Most of us will become lives. carers at one point or another in our lives. Um, the pressures that carers are under, the emotional, the practical, the, 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 the financial pressures that carers are under. I hope we've raised awareness of that. I hope that we've given financial advisors some pointers as to how to have a conversation about these responsibilities, how to have those difficult conversations. And if we've done that in itself, and if that works out for a few people listening to this, then we've, then, then we've done a good job. <laughs> um, I think I better just say thank you so much for coming and joining us. As ever, it's a conversation that could just go on and on and on. And if people want to learn more, if people want to delve into this topic in a bit more detail, Sonia, where can we point them to? So if anyone wants to know more about carers or wants to um, signpost somebody to their local carer centre, um, Carers UK and Carers Trust are the um, umbrella organisations for carer centres in the UK. So if you just go into their websites, you will find the wealth of information as well as uh, carer centre um, locations. Excellent. Perfect. Perfect. That's helpful. And if there's any financial advisor who would like to be a speaker in one of the forums, we'd be Uh, happy to have them. Get in touch with Hannah. Perfect. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Um, Sonia, thank you so much. Cynthia, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. Uh, It's been been a really good conversation. Thank you for raising awareness of this very important topic. Our pleasure. Great. Thank you. One take. content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.